tell me where in the world is crime in San Diego. Welcome back to Where in the World is Crime in San Diego. This is Maya Meliette, Larry's preliminary hearing, day number nine. Oh my goodness, you guys. Today was a really big bombshell with a lot of... Uh, there was a lot of bombshells in today. <sighs> yeah, there was a lot of good stuff. So Angie, take it away. All right, let's get started. So when we last left off, it was Matthew Grinley on the stand and he was getting ready to get cross-examined by... Bonita, Larry's attorney. It started, as always, with a lot of very technical questions, totally missing the mark, getting a little exaggerated. She really tried to prove the point that there is no way to prove or to verify if someone is holding a cell phone or whether the cell phone is like on a counter. Like that's just to give you an idea of like where her head's at and like how minute she wants to focus on things. She also tried to kind of get a little argumentative with the detective and say that he had no personal knowledge of their relationship or of Larry poisoning Maya, even though he testified to finding going through her records and her Apple records and finding text messages between Larry and Maya, where Maya states that she feels drowsy or sick after whatever vitamins, quote unquote, Larry's giving her again, just kind of a complete waste of time, but it was a good part of the morning. During redirect, though, Matthew Grinley adds on to the testifying that he went through the iCloud footage and he also found a video that was recorded by Maya. And this was October 30th of 2020, around 947 a.m. And it's a two minute, two second, I want to say somewhere around there, video of Maya and Larry having a conversation or argument And Maya is trying to like figure out like what's Larry's point? Like what does he want? Why is he so angry? And Larry just keeps going on and on about how Jamie or he was trying to court her from the beginning, how she didn't see it, you know, how she she should have been more paying attention to this and she's not focused on her family. And you can hear Maya say, this is enough for you to wish death on me all the time. And you can tell that she's just like, kind of broken down, frustrated, overwhelmed, like just wants the conversation to end. And it's just really sad. I think it really takes you to get a glimpse of what a lot of their conversations most likely consisted of. He also re-clarifies how they know that Larry was the one trying to hack into Maya's accounts after her disappearance. And the reason was because when you try to switch password or security information, You'll get a confirmation email from either Google or Facebook or somebody saying like, hey, is this you trying to log in? And there was like a backup phone number and that backup phone number was registered to Larry. Like if he was trying to switch the login information to his info. So his email was a new backup email. His phone number was the new backup phone number. And why would anybody else try to access those accounts? So he did testify to that as well. In addition, he says that going through Larry's phone records, he was able to find that Larry was messaging a lot of people. And I mean, we've heard it from like Maya's family, friends, like he was pretty active on his phone. But with Maya, there was very limited text messages compared to what he talked to like hundreds of other people. 
So I thought that was really weird. If you're like trying to control somebody. You would think there would be more like, hey, what are you up to? How's your date? Like there's not much transaction between them. Well, I think it had to do with a lot of the spellcasters. That's what he was trying to maybe like not intrude. And I think at this point he was so busy venting to everybody else about how to get her that he was like kind of not even focusing on actually talking to her because there was no point. Like he wanted everybody else to convince her that she needed to stay with him. I think that's just my my take on it. That's not proven in here. Mm -hmm. So after that, we had the next witness on the stand and it was one of Detective Gridley's co-workers. His name was Peter Velivert. And he is a cell phone analysis expert. And he was able to look at the timestamps, the cell phone placement, um, how far or close it was to a cell phone tower, um, approximately how long it could have been pinging or near that tower. So he first testified that he was able to study the phones of Larry, Maya, Melani, and her daughter, Laura. And that they were able to see that Maya's phone never really like pinged outside of her neighborhood area. Like they said, maybe there's like a six mile cushion around her neighborhood, but like it stayed in that area up until that very last activity that we talked about yesterday. He also says that from January 7th to January 9th, they went through Larry's phone and there was no phone calls to Maya. From Larry to Maya, like there was zero. There was 44 text messages, but there was zero phone calls. And they're able to go through and see like how many actual voice calls you make, how many text messages, like all this is very technical. Obviously, we don't always see all these details, but like it teaches you how far technologies come. Also, Angie, correct me if I'm wrong, um, because I was in and out watching the, the whole trial, uh, preliminary trial. But wasn't there a part where he was texting, but he instead of texting the cell phone, he was texting a landline? So that was with one of the detectives that he was sending evidence to. Okay. And that was a couple of days back where they were saying like, oh, he was volunteering information. But the information that he was volunteering, he was actually texting to a landline. And when they asked him for that evidence, he had already deleted it. So they weren't even able to recover whatever he sent. Okay. I got it. Okay. Yeah. So during cross-examination, well, at the very beginning, when Peter first took the stand, they do have to ask both prosecutor, both counsels, if they accept him as an expert, if nobody objects and it's just a given, the court accepts it. He does list his qualifications, of course. During cross, Benita starts by asking, well, can you tell me your experience? Can you tell me how many errors you made? Can you tell me how often you make a mistake? When's the last time you botched a case? (laughs) <laughs> and the judge kind of talks like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. You had your chance at this and you missed it. Like, your boat left. Either ask a question or move on. Yeah. So she asked a couple <laughs> questions just to kind of save face, but you can tell that she really just kind of was frustrated at that she couldn't poke holes at him. Well, yeah, the judge the judge pretty much told him, Hey, this is your this is your chance to say this guy knows his job, he knows what he's doing, he's an expert. You guys agree? Moving forward, okay. Yeah. And she's probably, uh, she just, she She just wanted to poke holes. But (laughs) either way, there wasn't much in cross-examination for Peter. The last witness for the prosecution to take the stand, which nine days later, I didn't think we'd get here, is DA investigator James Rhodes. And boy, did he have a lot to say. Uh, Yeah, he did. I I caught a lot of this one. So let's start with, with you take over first. Okay. 
So James Rhodes is also another district attorney investigator. And basically him, Gridley, and Velliver are all on one team. Each of them specialize in a different area. They go and get information. And Rhodes kind of put all this information together, cross-referenced it, and then just dug a little bit deeper to make sure that everything connected the way they anticipated. So he started by saying that one of the basic things was Maya was known by her neighbors to play the guitar. And they were able to coincide this with surveillance footage as well as videos on social media of Maya that she would post herself. So that kind of just showed like how they connect the pieces. And along with that surveillance footage, they also found uh, claims of a man and a woman fighting. And you can kind of tell by the direction that the audio comes from. It's kind of like two houses that have their backs to each other. So if you're picking up audio that strong, it really makes sense that it's the house directly behind you or like catty corner to you if there's nothing else around. So they recognize the voices the neighbors did and they can just hear the man and the woman arguing months before anything happened. Um, I want to say it's the same one that sent the gunshots or those supposed gunshots in, but they didn't really cover. They just said, yeah, they don't the they don't disclose disclose who it actually came yeah. from. It's just they list them by addresses, not by yeah. Yeah, they don't just, they don't put the names out there. But the biggest shock was that just as a reminder, on May 18th is when Larry was served with the restraining order for the guns or for having possession of the guns. On May 19th of 2021, which is after Maya disappeared, one of the neighbors felt her windows rattle. And it really shocked her and scared her. So she got up to go check and she could see from her window that the backyard of the Milliettes had a huge fire. And it wasn't like a small bonfire that you do like on a nice evening. It was a very like like a fire with the purpose, like they were burning things like Burning Man style. Yeah, like in the in the video that they showed in the courtroom, um, there was no sound to it, but it was one of the neighbors and they had their pool and the cameras on, on a, a second floor out looking to the backyard. And you can see in the distance, there was like a bright light, huge bright flash. And, and we will be posting it on our Instagram if you want to check out but glimpses of evidence. It's like when you do a fire, there's like a, like just a constant kind of low uh, globe um, fire. But with this one, it was bright, kind of like a firework, even in, in the, the dark, like the night vision camera style. It illuminated the whole backyard for for all the neighboring houses. Oh, no. Yeah, it was it was very obvious. Usually the judge will ask, like, can you point me where I need to be paying attention? And on this one, they're like, you don't need to be pointed. You will see it when it happens. And sure enough, like it was very clear. Mm -hmm. um, they did end up finding burnt credit cards once they did the search warrant of the home later in October. They found pieces of what is believed to be that one credit card that Larry had told Pablito that was missing that he thought Maya had taken with her. And it's the only one because they were able to list all her credit cards and account for all of them. And that's the only one that wasn't accounted for. So they're assuming that that's what he burned because there was a small corner of it that yesterday was said it was undescribable. Now they know it's a credit card and it's the only one that she doesn't have. Process of elimination. It just kind of makes sense. So they also went through their financial records because, of course, and they were able to see that from March of 2020 or at the time, 
Maya had her own personal account. She had her own credit card that she paid out of that account. They had a couple joint accounts and then Larry had his own. So they had access, like their money was kind of well spread. And from March 2020 until the end of the year, Maya no longer had any money, if any, in her personal account. It was all getting transferred into the joint account. And then from there, it would get moved to Larry's personal individual account. So that's why he would say that he would pay the bills because he was taking her money and he was controlling all of the finances, just like she would claim to her friends and family. So there was some months where she would only have just enough to keep the account open, which is like a dollar minimum to not close an account. Which makes sense why she would want to pay with her credit card at outings and have her friends pair with cash. And it also kind of explains why, like, he was so active on those Bitcoin apps or like checking on his Bitcoin because they do show a snap of like his Bitcoin investments. And it was really large amounts, which makes sense when she was saying, like, he's taking all of the kids accounts and my accounts and like putting it into investments when like it's not a sure thing. Mm. So being thorough, they also looked into car details. And of course, they focused on the Lexus. So the Lexus had actually been serviced on December 17th. And the cool thing about that is that they were able to obtain the amount of miles the car had at the date of service and then kind of work backwards from there. So from December 17th to January 23rd, when the search warrant was served, there was a total mileage of 1,379 added on. That's a lot of miles. And even that, considering they had between Maya and Larry, they had four vehicles. Yeah. You know, and the detective. He, and she worked from home yeah. and he his work schedule is very flexible and he worked not far from home either. No, the, the detective had like this system that was really insane. I was like, wow, like down to a science. So what they did is they compared the cell records, the bank card records, the work schedules, social medias and witness statements. And they accounted for every single day and where the car went. Which is just, I can't even imagine the amount of hours that took. And everything was accounted for all but one day. January 8th, 2021. The day he took a trip to Solana Beach. And the total amount of miles that are uncalculated for are are unaccounted for are 444 miles. I don't know about you, but I don't think Solana Beach is 444 miles away or 222. No, not not from Chula Vista. Like if that maybe 30, 40 not even miles from L.A. Away, I mean, it's still a big it's a big amount. And then also in his investigation, he was also saying that it's 444 miles all the way up to about 605 miles. If that that are unaccounted for total. Yeah. But it's more closer towards 444. I mean, he can you could have gone all the way out to the desert and back. Which and, would make sense why the tires were low, why he needed it detailed. A lot of questions. And they were familiar with that area because they had just been going out on the Jeep for mm-hmm. those off-roading trips. Yeah. So I'm sure he started to like learn his way around there. Oh, totally. Exactly. But if I've learned anything watching this trial is that you always need a foundation for your basis. So they needed to prove that the device that they were going to take evidence from actually belonged to Larry. 
And right now we're talking about a family laptop that primarily was used by Larry. And this was kind of known throughout the house. The kids had their iPads, they had their cell phones, Maya had her own laptop. But the way to prove this is they mentioned that, actually, you want to explain this part? Because I get weird with this. Yeah, so they found a particular file on that family shared uh, laptop. And it was called Daddy's File. And they they did not go into full detail about it. But what they did disclose in the courtroom is that there was explicit videos, adult explicit video content of Larry and Maya on that laptop. And as soon as the judge heard that, he's like, okay, uh, we don't need to hear anymore. Like, where is this going? Like, uh, this the, better have a point. Yeah, it's like, okay. Um and but it was really disturbing. Like I'm like, wow, like, OK, there's a daddy file like. Yeah, it was uh, weird on a shared. But laptop. the reason they brought it up is to show that he was the primary user of that, quote unquote, shared laptop. And a lot of the Google searches that came with that laptop were very concerning. They were things like how to harm my wife without like physically hurting her, how to torment my wife, Subliminal how to make messages. my wife submissive. Yes, everything like, along that line. But if those searches didn't tell you enough, they also had hundreds, and I mean hundreds, of numerous searches for spellcasters. So the spellcasts that they were able to target the dates started around September of 2020. And they were, they ranged from everything. They started from like, make her fall in love with me, make her submissive, you know, give me control of her, like, you know, Along those lines. And then as time went on, they kind of escalated to where they were wishing injury on Maya. And they wanted her. He wanted her to be hurt enough to where she would need him. And then some of them said, like, uh, discapacitate her. Like, basically, like. Yeah, it was it, it. Like you said, it did start off with is more of like have her fall in love with me. And then it escalated to where it it, it got to the point where it said. Can you please make her have an accident so I'm the one that's going to take care of her so she shows so it shows that I still love her and she She only wants me when I'm nice to her and when I help her. Uh she doesn't give attention to me or the kids. Her attention is in her work and her affair. She's become promiscuous, she's out of control, she needs to be humbled. And obviously they get more and more aggressive. He also starts to wish or buy hexes for to place on Jamie. And basically the thing with the love spells or any spellcaster is you pay them a certain amount for them to perform a ritual on the person. You give them details of like name, date of birth, where they're from, something. I don't know if you send pictures sometimes, but basically they perform it for you and they tell you, OK, give it about a month for it to come to fruition. Like it's not going to be immediate. If it doesn't happen in a month and you can order another spell and, you know, build from there. Um, the only actual like physical thing he bought, he bought a wenga doll which is basically like a voodoo doll and that was the only material thing he had to hold on to but other than that he was just ordering and like these spells range from anywhere from like seven to eleven dollars depending but he racked up a total bill of one thousand dollars like that's insane to me well actually angie the the actual i got the actual amount and it's one thousand one hundred fifty four dollars and five cents that Again, he spent on over, too much money. over 70 spells on Maya and also for uh, Jamie. 
And it was crazy because these spells got so like personal where there was an email exchange where um, he was asking one of the spellcasters, hey, we're going to Glamis trip. We're going to go off-roading. I need, can you please do a real, a, a real heavy spell where Maya gets physically hurt, not killed, but hurt, like a broken bone. Yeah, and it's like, and please, and thank you so much. It's almost like a dear a, Santa. Can you like you know cut off an arm? Thanks. See you later. Yeah, and he ends them all with very respectfully, which I thought was kind of hilarious. I know it's a military thing, but still, he also sends one saying that he hope he's. Hoping that the spell will isolate her from all of her fake friends and family and help her realize that the only people she needs in her life are her three children and Larry and they can be a happy family again. And in each one, he starts to say, like, she's abandoned me and our children and our children need an example of what real love is. It just it's really heartbreaking to see how out of control he got and how nobody saw it. It got to the point where he actually got blocked from Fiverr. Yeah, so there was he was not yeah. allowed to use that anymore because of how excessive he was. Yeah, there was there was two two sites that he was primarily primarily using. It was Fiverr, and then Cal uh, Astrology something Cal something Astrology. Yeah, something. and it was like CAA abbreviation. It was a CAA abbreviation, and he did get blocked from Fiverr, and I'm like, wow. I know is- you can do that. From, it's like getting blocked on like Craigslist. It it is. It's yeah. crazy, you know. And it's just like, wow, he got blocked on that. Like, that's crazy and mental. Not to mention that towards the end, obviously, when these um, start to escalate, he also starts to forward messages between him and Maya, saying like, "Look it, she told me that nothing is going to fix this. She's ready for divorce. You need to reboost, which is like recast a spell." And again, a lot of these spellcasters have a limit. Like, I'm not going to do it more than once in a month because there's no point. Like, it needs time to work if it works. And yeah, like, you can just see his excessiveness. And even, too, like, towards the end of the, the very last, like, 10 minutes of, t- of the day nine, the emails were real heavy. Like, she's so, ad- Maya's so adamant about divorce. She's, she's said on it, you need to help me out. Like, I, I'm... This is my last straw. Oh, and that was the other thing. He would send the exact same message to like five or six different spellcasters. So one, he was spending a ton of money mm-hmm. and like overpaying. But two, like he was having this come from every direction, which just shows you his level of desperation. But you know what? I feel like what's the biggest thing about the whole spellcasting stuff is that it is January 7th, Right. Mm-hmm. And he sends one in the morning, an email to one of the spellcasters. That was in the afternoon, or is it? No, but there was also one in the morning oh, yeah. for for the seventh, and in the afternoon. Yeah. And after that last one in the afternoon, the very next day, it changes from doing spellcasting to Maya to doing spellcasting to. Jamie. Yeah, so he basically orders one on the seventh again to hurt Maya or to like to, you know, just hurt her enough so that he needs her or she needs him. And then the next day, there's nothing because on the 8th, his cell phone was off. Mm -hmm. But on the 9th at 5.55 in the morning, which means like first thing when he woke up, he sends an email to the spellcaster saying, please remove the hex from my wife, Maya, and move it to Jamie. He's around 29 to 31. He lives in San Diego, question mark. And then from there on, all the casts that he orders are for, for Jamie. 
because he feels like he's not suffering or paying for his sins. But Maya is never mentioned again, which between not calling your missing wife ever after the day that she's gone, sending 44 text messages to a number that you most likely know is disconnected, and then never mentioning her after talking about her for the last nine months nonstop. Something's got to give. Something, it's it's coincidental, right? (laughs) It's all just happenstance. Yeah. I honestly don't know how the cross-examination is going to go, but stay tuned and let's see how the rest of this plays out. Tell me where in the world is crime in San Diego. Hey, 